Well, good morning. My name is Casey. I'm one of the members here at Redeemer. My wife, Stephanie, and I and our girls uh, came back to Brenham and joined the church in November, and you all have been an amazing community of believers. If you are visiting with us today, I want to personally welcome you as a newer guy here saying that, hey, this is a great place that preaches Jesus, that loves like Jesus. And so if you're looking for a church home, then I encourage you to get to know the church here and perhaps check out um, the, uh, uh, what's it called? The uh, welcome group that's starting next Sunday at Pastor Justin's house at 530. If you've been here a while but feel a little disconnected, um, then I would encourage you to check out the welcome group. There's also Sunday school and there's uh, great opportunities to serve. So one of the great ways that you can connect with other people is by rocking babies or yelling at toddlers in the name of Jesus uh, and encouraging them that way. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, uh, please open with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, we're wrapping up our series, maybe, Pastor Justin or Pastor Marcus might say, no, nah, we're, we're going to keep going, but as it stands right now, we're wrapping up the, serv- the series um, for the neighborhood and the nations. It's one of those uh, series where people, in theory, really like it, but the majority of us who follow Jesus, the E word really kind of throws us off, and that E word we're talking about is evangelism. And some of you who've been around the church for a while, evangelism indicates a man in an all-white suit wearing glossy shoes that's slick-talking and getting people to cry and come forward and make decisions and give all their money. Um, That's not what we're talking about here today. What we're talking about here today is being communicators of great news that is for all peoples of all nations who God is saving according to His will for His glory and for our good. And so when we talk about evangelism, um, people have different uh, type of arguments. You have the people who say, well, I'm more of a discipleship person than I am an evangelism person. But you have to understand, discipleship doesn't happen unless there's evangelism. And in fact, I think it's, it's harmful to detach discipleship from evangelism. In fact, evangelism, evangelism is a part of discipleship. Someone is evangelized. They come to faith in Christ, they learn about Jesus, they study the Word of God, they're around other believers, they start engaging in the body of Christ, they grow in their faith, they fail a bunch, they get up, they they sin, they hide, they repent, they come back, they're restored. But an overflow of this faith journey ought to be communication of the gospel of Jesus. Our lives communicate it and therefore our words communicate it. Now, I believe one of the challenges in our great United States for evangelism is that we are inherently, because of sin, a transactional people. Think about it. Adam and Eve were created in the garden to worship God, enjoy God, enjoy His creation, enjoy each other in relationship. Sin creeps in, they rebel against God, therefore relationship is broken. God restores, if you want to see the first act of God's grace and mercy, Look no farther than the third and fourth chapter of Genesis. When they sin and they fail, God slaughters an animal and covers their shame with animal, animal skins. He covers their shame as grace, as a sign, as a promise. And so as they proceed and as they grow through the scriptures, we see God continually pursuing a people. But there's always a necessary transaction to wipe away sin so that we could be made right with God. And that ultimate transaction was finally made in and through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Living a perfect life, fulfilling the laws and the covenants of the old covenant, 
dying a gruesome and horrible physical and spiritual death on the cross, bearing the anger and wrath of God directed towards sin to a point in which God was then pleased to crush his own son so that through the death of his son and the promised resurrection of Jesus, that all who believe in him will be forgiven their sins and adopted by God as sons and daughters. We can say amen to that. And that's not to affirm me. It's like I didn't write that story. I just get to declare it, and so do you. We were sinners separated by God, but God did something we could not do by sending his own son, fully God, fully man, to live a life we could not live, to die a death that we deserve, and to rise again, defeating sin, death, and Satan, so that by hoping in him alone, we are forgiven and accepted by God. That's good news. That's the gospel. Some of you have been believers a while, and you haven't thought of it that way in a while. You're like, I'm American, I'm, I'm a Texan, and I'm Christian. Yeehaw, right? Okay. So transaction says we've got to do for God. And so if you hear people share their testimony, they're like, I heard someone speak. I went up and gave my prayer, gave my life to Christ. Christ gave me my forgiveness. And so now I'm going to work the rest of my life being good to keep God's love. That's not the gospel. In fact, that's a false gospel. And some of you are middle-aged or older, and you're worn out because you keep trying hard for God. And that's not what God requires. Obedience to God is a response to the relationship we have with God through Jesus. Obedience isn't to keep or to earn. It's a thank you. It's motivated by gratitude and affection and love. Not solely based upon waiting for God to pull the rug out from under us, take away his grace, and leave us alone. That's not the gospel. That's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is a pursuing God, a loving God, a redeeming God, a rescuing God, and long-suffering. And so God, through Jesus, created a way where you and I, sinners separated from God, can be redeemed by God through Jesus to have relationship with God. And so relationship is key, and that's going to be the undercurrent as we talk today about the idea of mission in our neighborhood and to the nations. Now, evangelism was never intended to be done, though, in isolation or, in, or alone, but done in and out of community. In fact, how many of you, by a show of hands, are extroverts? You're outgoing, you like talking, you want to meet new people, raise your hand and hold them high. We're extroverts. Look around, there's like six of us here. Amen. So we're going to have to carry the load. We're the greeter team from now on. How many of you by a show short hand raises are introverts? Look, just there's a sea of you guys. Come on, own it. Be like, I don't like you. Don't talk to me. Leave me alone. I'll be polite, but ooh. Right? So evangelism to you is like more people. I don't want more people. Oh. Or there's guilt like, oh. People are a problem, and I know I know the solution, but oh. And you start shaming yourself. And it's like, just connect with one of us six extroverts, and we'll go on mission together. Amen? How many of you are ambiverts? That means both. It's like, you can handle people, but after a while, you got to recharge. It's like, hey, I like people. Hey, how are you? Leave me alone, right? Y'all time and me time. We get along. How many of you refuse to be labeled by anything? All right, there we go, Patrick in the back. All right. I refuse a label. Okay, well, then you're an introvert. (laughs) 
If you capture nothing else from this morning, from the text we're going to go to and enjoy together, I want you to capture this, that a community committed to the ways of Jesus will be a community on mission. A community committed to the ways of Jesus will be a community on mission. That's one of the ways we text, test the pulse of how we are doing. See, we have a bad habit of taking our pastors and our elders and some of our volunteers and say, y'all are on mission, we show up to spectate. We're going to watch. The music's too loud, the chair's uncomfortable, I'm thirsty. Why do they have those little sippy bottles of water? Amen? Can you imagine Brad Beavers staying hydrated with the little bottles of water? I mean, he's like seven foot eight. I mean... That might hydrate his left toe. I don't know, but no, we're, we're in it together and the preachers and the leaders are here to create environments for you to engage together with the living God so that you might be equipped and prepared to be sent and live on mission. So a community committed to the ways of Jesus will be a community on mission. So I'm going to get a running start into our Acts 2.42 passage. In Acts 1, 6 through 8, you can either listen or you can read along in your scripture. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's free Bibles in the back that you're free to have and take. So Jesus now had been killed and he had been buried and he had risen again. He had appeared several times to the disciples and to many other people. He had given the great commission, and now it's the final thing we see in Acts, which is written also by Luke who wrote the Gospel of Luke. It says this, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. I'm going to rabbit trail just real quick. I promise real quick, but it's my first time preaching here in a while, so I'm going to take some liberties. Thanks. Thanks, John. Well, John's okay with it, so we're going on. All right, so here we are. If you spend all your faith, time and faith and energy and faith trying to figure out when Jesus is coming back, you're being unbiblical and you're avoiding what we do know what to do. And if you know anybody who explains charts on exactly when Christ is coming back, they're lying. And let me show you Acts verse 6. Acts 1. Six. So when they had come together and asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. We see it back in Matthew that Jesus says, I don't know the day and time. That's up to the Father. We see this trinity relationship and functional subordination of our Lord to his Father. The Father knows. And so if you're spending all your time trying to figure out when it's going to happen, if you know an expert in end times, it's very difficult to be an expert on something that has not yet happened. Some of you are pre-millennium, pre-trib, some of you are post-mill, some of you are on-mill, partial preterist, some of you are full preterist, heretics, but whatever. And some of you are pan-millennialists, you're like, it will pan out in the end. And I encourage you to study in times and to understand what Revelation says. But if you have it all figured out, just be open to the fact that it might be a little bit different than what you expect if we were still alive when Christ returns. And let's not divide over that. Back on my rabbit trail. Off the rabbit trail, back on the main trail. Here we go. But 
Here's the deal. You're not going to know, not your business. None your business. But here's what is your business. You will receive power. Not you will work up enough courage, not that you will work harder for God, not that you do enough quiet times to, to get a running start. No, no, no. It says you will receive. And I look back in the Greek and that word means receive. You're welcome. You will receive power, dynamos. Power when the Holy Spirit comes. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so, introverts, here's a little hope for you. You are not going to muster up the courage to evangelize the lost on your own. It's going to have to be the power of the Holy Spirit working in you and through you to open your mouth and articulate eternity. And so, rather than trying to try harder, say, God, I'm available. I don't want to be. But Holy Spirit... Give me opportunities to see and to say and to hope in the, your power. In extroverts, this will empower us to be rejected and not give up. Amen? Hey, if you, you want to trust Jesus? No, you're a bigot. <laughs> extroverts, we have a hard time. But it'll empower you to stay the course and understand that we don't save people, God does. And God is the author and perfecter of faith. That we are the mules and the donkeys that open our mouth to articulate heavenly things and that God works by removing hearts of stone, replacing with hearts of flesh to bring regeneration in the life of people. So you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. That means you're testifying to that which you've seen, heard, experienced, and know. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now Jesus is telling them to go to no-no places. Jerusalem, fine, yeah, that's where they are right now. Judea, uh, okay, we'll, we'll go there. Samaria, uh-uh. That's where the dogs are. They literally went out of their way to avoid going through Samaria as much as they could. The outcasts, the lowly, the dogs, the half-breeds, that was Samaria. Jesus is saying, no, hey, you're going to go to Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. You're going to keep going, empowered by the Spirit with something to say. And so we fast forward to Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, we see um, Peter, the guy that denied Jesus three times, went back to his old job of fishing. Jesus then goes to him post-resurrection, calls him to himself, and restores him by asking him if he loves him three times. And he, Jesus tells him to feed his sheep. And now he's waiting, and, and, and Christ ascends into heaven, and Peter then goes out. After the Holy Spirit descends on them as they waited, as Jesus said, they have courage and boldness and something to say. We then see a sermon by Peter that is articulating the gospel to Hebrew people of various languages and dialects, communicating the gospel in a way that they can understand. And in this articulation of the gospel, he is saying things like, not running away, and I don't know who Jesus is, but he says, but the Jesus that you killed, that's not going to like naturally bring warm fuzzies. That's not what builds large TV programs for your ministry these days. If it is, if it is building it, it's on local access cable if you're saying those, stuff, those things. The Jesus that you killed, that God sent, was the only Son of God is here to save. And it says they were cut to the heart and over 3,000 of them were baptized that day. And so what is the overflow of conversion and connection? It's community. The overflow of conversion and connection is biblical community. 
And so let's look at Acts 2, verse 42. Now, I want to preface this. How many of you grew up in church? Your first word was Jesus, right? You, you've been around church a long time. Show up. You grew up in church. How many of you have been in church over 10 years? How many of you are like, I didn't know this was a church. Someone told me it had coffee and donuts. It's called the, the bait and switch. You're welcome. Um, those donuts are powerful. Good for you. All right, so... Acts 2.42 is like, man, when can we get back to an Acts 2 church? I remember sitting in seminary, and a professor said, you can never have a true Acts 2 church. And a bunch of these young and angsty, mostly male Baptists were like, uh-uh. He says, are you in first century Jerusalem facing massive persecution, being hated by the Jews and the Romans? No. Then you can't have that. I mean, here in Brenham, we're not facing much persecution, if any, at all for being Christian. Maybe some micro-persecution, but there's not a macro-attack on our faith. And so it's easy to go out of wartime living into vacation-type faith, where it's not that urgent or important because where's the pressure? Where's the refinement? What's the need? I mean, after all, it's Brenham. It's in Texas. Isn't everybody Christian? I want to help you out. No. And in fact, with this number of people in a room, not all of you are Christian either. And I'm not saying that to judge you. I used to not be a Christian either. But the reality is, is we can't assume that everyone is Christian and we can't be so Calvinistic that we're frozen chosen and don't open our mouth. In fact, those of you who are Calvinistic or Reformed in faith, those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, just be blessed. That shouldn't prohibit evangelism, that should compel it. Because miracles are happening because fools like us open our mouth to declare holy things from unholy lips. And God moves. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to breaking of bread and prayers. And all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the number day by day those who were being saved." And if you've been in the faith a while, you've heard this passage a lot. And I just pray we can slow down and enjoy what God's teaching and what God's saying through his word anew. First thing I want us to see in here is that biblical community is defined by commitment to Jesus, each other, and the spiritual disciplines. Biblical community, if you're looking for a general definition, is defined by commitment to Jesus, each other, and the spiritual disciplines. It says they devoted themselves, gave themselves over to, prioritized their lives around the apostles' teaching, the Word of God, the fellowship, intentional gathering with one another, the breaking of bread, food, and meals. Anybody like food here? Glory to God. Pass the pie. They would gather around the table with intentionality to enjoy each other and be reminded of their dependence on God. I remember when Braylon, our daughter, was young, she would say, Daddy, why are you talking to our food when I prayed over the meal? And I said, because everything we have is from God. And these animals, sorry, we're not vegan. These animals gave their lives 
so that we can have life, much like Jesus gave of his life so that we could live too. And so we want to take a moment and thank God for his faithfulness and his provision. I think that might have went over ahead at age four or five, but the why behind it, the gratitude and the hope we have in him, the meal together, the breaking of bread, the Lord's Supper, the communing of the saints coming together, and prayer. I don't know about you, I get distracted when I pray. That's one of the reasons Pastor Justin wrote the book he did. He's not looking to get rich off selling a book for 10 bucks. He's looking to resource us so that we can have some sort of rails to develop a habit of prayer. They came together. They were committed to Christ. That was the hope. That was the gathering purpose. They're committed to each other and they're committed to the spiritual disciplines, prayer and the word and fellowship. And all came upon every soul. And some, some translated as fear or terror or awe. Something greater than them was happening. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. They had received the Holy Spirit, and therefore the power of the Spirit was leading to supernatural things. I think we kind of get dull in our souls a bit on the supernatural things that are happening in an everyday life. Gents, when you're able to put the phone down or turn the computer off before you step into sin, that's a miracle. Ladies, when you're able to constructively communicate with your husband rather than dripping and, as some people call it, nagging, their words, not mine, but are able to come in a constructive way, that's a miracle. When someone who doesn't know Jesus and is even obstinate toward Jesus comes to faith in Jesus, that's a miracle. I know Pastor Marcus and myself and, and a few other folks here have seen people actually be healed. And that's amazing. We've had moments where demonic things had happened. I want to be honest with you. I didn't know what to do but say the name of Jesus a bunch. But that doesn't happen every day, at least in my life. Maybe in your life, if it does, I'd love to buy you coffee and hear about that. But we also, I think we diminish the power of God that, hey, there's perseverance. We change the way we look at our money and our time. We view people not as projects, but as people who need to have a right relationship with God. We're no longer racist, but rather hopeful. It, the, the paradigm shifts that are happening is not because you're trying harder, doing the right spiritual disciplines, and behaving better. Those are hopefully not manifest from your own will, but God's will being done in and through you. And so this gathering of these people, because they're filled with the Holy Spirit, we're able to be released from addictions, to be freed to proclaim the good news, to be pushed, as we like to call it, out of their comfort zone. The word comfort zone or the phrase comfort zone is kind of funny to me. Maybe because I've been around church a lot the last 20 years of my life or so. Comfort zone, comfort zone, comfort zone. Stop it. Ultimately, while us in America fight for comfort and ease, we are called to sacrifice and suffering. And we can thank God for what makes us comfortable, but we can also encourage each other towards things that are less comfortable. Where our primary goal isn't comfort and safety. It's a part of it. We have stewardship. But we're compelled by the gospel of Jesus to walk across the street or go to a dangerous neighborhood to proclaim the gospel, to go to Kenya and build houses or churches. 
But we see in verses 44 and 45, they were also united by the gospel and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, first of all, some people read this and are like, well, that's socialism. No, no, no. They were no longer held bondage by their stuff and their money. They cared more about God and other people than they did themselves. And they began sacrificing as needs arised. Quite honestly, all the government programs that some people get upset about are an effect of the fact that church quit doing her job in her local context. And so when we abdicate as the people of God, the work of God, to organizations that were not designed to be godly, and then we get mad about it, maybe we should look in the mirror first. Just one church member to another. And if you have a complaint, you can email me at justin at redeemerchurchbrenham.org. I'm sure he'll convey it to me. But notice they came together. There's a fine difference between affinity and community. What I love here about Redeemer isn't it's not just a whole bunch of white people coming together to congratulate ourselves about being godly. Does he dislike white people? Oh, clearly. I am one. Racism is still real. It still happens. And the reality is, is we come together not around skin color, socioeconomic, Preferences. Some of you are New American Standard all the way. King James only, maybe. If you suck around here and you're King James only, bless you. But we come together not surrounding all these preferences, but Christ. We're able to learn from each other and sharpen each other and challenge each other. We can come with open hearts and open minds to Black History Month so that we can learn more about the culture of our brothers and sisters in Christ that we don't fully understand ourselves. We can come to people who are first or second generation Americans and say, tell us what that's like. Because we're coming with a common purpose, not of politics, not of self-preservation, but of Jesus, who died for people from all nations, for His glory. So affinity is surrounding ourselves with people who think like us, agree like us, look like us, vote like us, and then we might slap some Jesus on it, but that's affinity. That's not community. Community is a diverse people coming together around a common person, Jesus, and all of our hearts and minds and souls and convictions and beliefs are being challenged by the Spirit of God working in us, informed by the work of God for the purpose of God in us, in our community, in our neighborhood, in our state, our nation, and our world. Community is messy, community is uncomfortable, but community declares the gospel. So sacrificial giving. Look, I got the money thing early on when, when Jesus saved me. I'm not here to brag with you, but it just made sense. Like, yeah, 10% is the floor, not the ceiling. You give generously. I'm going to give to God before I give to myself. I'm not going to be unwise, but I'm going to be generous with my money. And it astounds me how many people in the church do financial gymnastics on how it's better for them to steward their money than God. Or they see needs of other people, they say they'll pray for them, but actually you should buy them some groceries. I will pray for you. Well, I'm not going to eat your prayers. And so when they're sharing all things, now I'm not saying, hey, let's go sell our stuff. We have 45 acres here. Let's get some tiny home compounds. 
and churn butter together and change our name to Jedediah, guys. Okay, I'm not saying that. And if your name's Jedediah, I'm not making fun of you. But the reality is, there are people in our community who have needs. Guess who's responsible for them? The elders only? Uh-uh. Y'all. Us. We give our money to create an environment where people can come and meet with Jesus. We create an environment and give our money so that people can come be educated, so that they can go get meaningful work. We come and sacrifice our time by rocking babies or teaching preschool or teaching Sunday school or running sound or being in the band or preaching the gospel. We give of our time so that people might hear and believe the gospel of Jesus. And so when, when people are serving just begrudgingly, I'm like, hey, I get it. It's hard work. You have to unfold chairs in an air-conditioned or heated building. I am being sarcastic there because we saw their church. To be fair, it's easier to clean that thing up than all these chairs, right? This is part of the sermon where you're feeling a little uncomfortable. You're stepping on my toes. You were funny. Now you're stepping on my toes. Most of you wear steel toe boots. You're fine. So let's go. We give up our time. Look, you teaching, you rocking baby, you greeting, you cleaning up. What Sam's doing is very important. Sam, I don't know if you've thanked Sam lately, but Sam and JB and a few other folks, man, they, they come set all this up. It's not some magic elf that shows up for a church elf that's like, you know, like in Harry Potter, wiggles his nose or whatever, and all the chairs are up. We got people coming in, setting up and tearing down. You're like, well, I stacked a chair, jewel in your crown. Good for you. But the reality is, is that when we sacrifice our time, our gifts and our efforts, we then collaborate together for the sake of creating an environment and opportunities for people who are far from God to witness God at work and to experience God themselves. So that when we speak about God, it's consistent with their experience of people who say they know God. So we give our time and we give our money. These people were committed to the ultimate goal and purpose. They were willing to sacrifice and to share and to care for and to be interrupted for the sake of the gospel. A gospel community, as we see here in verses 46 and the first part of 47, is defined by joy, generosity, and consistency. When we sense the Lord changing our, our direction of life to relocate us back from the Willens Magnolia area, to Redeemer, we drove an hour here and an hour home each Sunday to be gathering with the saints so that our faith might not wander, but that we might be encouraged and cared for and be able to see where God is moving. I'm not saying that to brag. I'm saying it because it's important for you to consistently be connected in biblical community. You are not meant to, in isolation, live out your faith alone. It's not your own personal journey of faith. Your personal journey of faith affects everyone. Hey, what if your quiet time that's kind of dry today, maybe that word's not for you at all. Maybe it's for the guy at the oil change place, or maybe it's for your spouse, or maybe it's for your children, or maybe it's for the guy that cuts you off when you're driving. Instead of sending sign language, you say a prayer. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Maybe your time in the Word isn't just for you. Maybe it's to, to feed, to, to remind yourself, to give yourself hope and, 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 and engage and agree with the Spirit of God of what He's doing so that you can articulate the truth. So we see the, and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. 
I've never met anyone who's a believer in Jesus who I've said, do you consider yourself a generous person who said, no. And having been a pastor for many years and an elder for many years, I think we have different definitions of generosity. How much of your stuff is yours and how much of it is God's? Now, we know the right answer if you've been in the church a while. Oh, it's all the Lord's. Then why do you hold it so tightly? Why do I? Why do we hold it so tightly? If you're not focused on the faithfulness and promise of God through His Son, Jesus Christ, we will quickly go back to self-preservation and greed. I've been guilty of it too, friends. I'm not sitting here like, y'all, I'm saying us. Us. I don't know if you know this, but serving people, caring for people, loving people, impacting a community requires volunteer time, and it requires, I know we hate talking about it in church, but since I'm not a pastor here, I can say it, money. being quiet to let that awkwardness sit in for a minute. Some of you are deciding, like, well, when that guy preaches again, I'm not coming back. That's fine. It's once every other month or so, so we'll give you head, no head notice. But it's defined by joy. So joy is the motivation because of gratitude of what God has done. It is a hope in Christ. And joy is different than happiness. Happiness is circumstantial. Joy rises up from the Spirit of God in us to the eternal hope that we have and helps us to persevere. Generosity isn't us just saying like, man, I better be generous, but saying God has been so generous to me, how can I then respond generously? And also consistency. Hey, your church needs you. From this place, Lord willing, we overflow into the community around us where people hear and see the gospel at work and are changed and transformed and born again. There are many people in our community that don't know Jesus. And I'm not saying that to be condemning. I'm saying it as a fact. In fact, in the Gospel of John, John 13, verse 35, it says this, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have a love for one another. So loving one another isn't just being nice and periphery. Loving one another is saying, hey, we're going to be a community group together or Sunday school. We're going to meet once or twice a month, have coffee, connect, share each other's lives a bit, pray with each other and for each other, and be mindful of the fact that, hey, we are the body of Christ together. We're not a bunch of people who hire some professionals to do the work of ministry. We're actually a gathering of people of whom the elders and, and pastors of our church are responsible to equip us, equip the saints for the work of ministry. And so then what is the consequence? If we're living a life, as Jesus said, they'll know you're my disciples how, by how you love each other, how you care for each other, how you sacrifice for each other, how you love each other enough to say some hard things in gentle ways to lead people back towards faithfulness in Christ. They'll know. So when people walk in, even the introverts will be like, hi, I haven't met you. I'm Brandy. Just any Brandy out there, I just saw you, so... But we're willing to come out of our shell a bit to articulate the welcome because God has welcomed us. 
And we're not just inwardly cultivating, we're outwardly focusing people who are coming to faith. Not just going after people at other churches stealing sheep, but we're saying, hey, we want to create an environment where people who are far from God can meet people who know God so they can be like tour guides or midwives leading them to faith in Christ. And the second part of verse 47 is where I'm going to begin my sermon today. I'm just kidding. I'm almost done here. I've got plenty of time. We're already 10 minutes over. Don't you usually wrap this thing up by 11, Justin? I'm so sorry. I hope you packed a lunch. Let's walk through this. All right. Well, John says I can keep preaching, so my wife has to stay. You will stay. The rest of you, if you need to go, go ahead. So here we are. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Day by day, the Lord added to their number. Not their next tactic, not their next gospel tract. Those are tools. That's not what saves. God saves. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So what we can see here is a gospel-centered community is a spirit-filled, sent community. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're an ambassador. You're a spokesperson. You articulate the heavenly things. You invite people. Look, um, we have little invite cards. I don't know if you know this on the back table. There's a few back there. Stick one in your wallet. Dr. Nate Simons, I was in seeing him one day when he first moved here. And he can't affirm that because of HIPAA or whatever. But I was there and... It wasn't anything too awkward, like my sinuses or something. And, and I was like, hey, you're new here. Do, where do you go to church? He's like, well, I don't go anywhere. And I was like, you should come. At the time, it was Christ Church, back in like 2008 or something like that. And, and by God's grace, they came. I'm not saying Nate was already a believer, but they came into the fold because someone took the time to say, hey, we'd love to see you one Sunday. I was, at, I was at Ace Hardware the other day, and I saw a young man who was actually in-house of worship back in the days now, a manager there, and I recognized faces. I'm kind of a creeper that way. Hadn't seen this guy in nine years. And I was like, I know you. And he laughed and was very kind. And I was like, hey, you should come to church on Sunday. And he's like, well, okay, yeah. And I said, no, dead serious. You should be there at 10. And quite honestly, if you act awkward next time I come in and you haven't shown up to church, I'm not going to be weird, so don't be weird. Is that a deal? He said, okay, so guess where I'm going to go do my postage from now on? Ace Hardware. <laughs> Holy stalking is not stalking. I'm just kidding. So, <laughs> well, it is kind of, so be careful. So, the second thing I want us to pull away is this the consequence of doing life together is life changing growth. If we're doing the things we talked about in biblical community, articulating the gospel to one another, reminding each other of it so that we can tell the world about it, there will be growth. Now, not all of us are going to be Billy Graham overnight, and most of us will never be. But we can start being reminded of the gospel to speak the gospel. And lastly, I want us to know this. We are called to evangelism. Not just some of us. We and so I want to encourage you, use the gifts of our community to reach those who are far from God. Community groups is a great place to start, connecting with other believers to be encouraged towards mission. That starts February 10th. Sign up. The second thing is like the Super Bowl. It's a great time to invite friends over who are far from God and invite friends over who, don't, who, who love Jesus and are mouthy. I earn invites because I'm mouthy and I like talking about the Lord and it's not weird to me. I have a friend here who's he's like, hey, Casey, I got some friends coming over who don't know Jesus. Do you want to come over and attack them? I was like, oh, but I'll talk to them. Remember, people are not projects. They're souls that matter to God who created them. And that those who will be saved, God wants them to hear at the right time the gospel of Jesus and be saved. Give you, I'm, I'm in way trouble. I probably won't be asked back, so I'm going to keep going. So here we go. 
When you talk to people about the Lord, be curious and not condemning. Be curious. Tell me your story. Ask good questions. What led you to that belief? How did you come to believe that? Who taught you that? Where do you base that from? A lot of times with atheists, I ask them, what source do you base it from? If you're here and you're an atheist, I would love to chat with you about how you come to that faith, because it is a faith. Be okay not to know all the answers. And your testimony is a story of God working in your life, your past before the Lord, how God saved you, and how God has sent you. Not all perfect, but faithful. Friends, if we are a community committed to the ways of Jesus, we will be a community on mission.